0: Thank you very much. Um, to start off with, when um, Sasha invited me to the conference, and thank you very much for organizing this brilliant event and bringing in people from different uh, uh, research cultures, I suppose, uh, I was wondering um, in Sasha's ERC project on calendars in antiquity and the Middle Ages. Um, Standardization and fixation. Uh, I was wondering what is the key thing that I could talk about. Uh, my principal area of uh, expertise, I suppose, is on Easter tables and uh, what you may call a lunar calendar. Uh, we would rather call it lunar cycles. Um, you would not uh, get information about that. Now we can discuss that about uh, over dinner. I suppose um, the idea there is. Uh, To me, when I heard the word calendar, what sprung to mind, and and I want to uh, make as clear as possible right from the start, what the genre of text that I'm talking about uh, will be, it's more or less this. So uh, Easter cycles are usually termed either Easter tables or Easter cycles in the medieval literature or in the modern literature. Uh, Lunar cycles are without... Uh, exception called lunar cycle. This is what in the medieval terminology and in the modern uh, terminology for the uh, medieval tradition is called a calendar. In German we we make the distinction, for example, between calendar with E and calendar with A. Uh, Calendar with A is basically, in the end, uh, what I will be talking about is this format, a grid of 365 days. It's a Julian calendar um, broken down into every single day with one Usually, it's not exclusively, but usually one month per page. We will see other examples, but uh, this is uh, an important tradition uh, within the early Middle Ages, which um, survives in almost every computistical manuscript, every manuscript that deals with the calculation of Easter, um, but also in liturgical manuscripts. So it's all over the place and uh, there is a debate for quite a while, started by um, this man, Arno Borst, who died in 2007, uh, professor of medieval history at Constance, who published these three books, which, uh, especially the middle one, um, triggered quite controversy in the question of how this genre of text developed in the early Middle Ages. He started off with um, this book here, The calendar Kalenderreform in 98, uh, uh, 600 pages. It's a massive volume um, where he tries to place the Carolingian period into the wider context of the calendrical tradition. Uh, he followed that up in 2001 with a three-volume, 1,700 pages edition of what he believed, and this is the key part of it, he believed that Charlemagne in 789 constructed the super calendar, uh, and that is then the model for the next uh, 500 years. So, up to the 12th century, this calendar, um, designed in 789 centrally in Aachen by Charlemagne, rules the tradition of this genre of text right up to the 12th century. So, every calendar that comes afterwards is just a variation of that. Um, there was criticism, that's why he wrote um, a slightly polemical book um, three years later in 2004. Um, countering the criticism that has arose has ar- had arisen in just the one or two years after he published um, the major edition. This, the, the, middle text, uh, the middle book here, um, the, the karolingische Reichskalender, the three-volume work, is a massive, massive source of information. He collated 250 calendars from the 8th century right up to the 12th century, and the data that you find there. You may not agree with this argument, I don't, uh, as you will see in, in, in a second, but uh, it's a massive, um, wealth of data and information. Um, the basic background to that is um, the medieval calendar tradition. Again, as a calendar, it's it's um, uh, an outline of 365 days organized by Munch. It's, it's, it's just a Julian calendar in, in a good format, if you like. Um, the latest of antiquity is that the one by Polemius Silvius, the earliest uh, of the middle. Ages of the medieval tradition is the one by, by Willy Broad, which you see here on the right hand side. It's the calendar page for uh, March, um, Paris, 1083, 10, 10837, uh, dated to the 680s. So from Polemius Silvius in the 440s to the 680s, uh, for those 200 plus years, um, there is no extant calendar. Um, so the, um, this is where the medieval calendar tradition starts, but Borst basically argues it's not with this calendar, it's not this calendar that created the genre which he defines uh, specifically, we'll come back to that in a second, but he basically says it took another 100 years to bring in all the elements to this genre of text and you'll see that rather in a format that you see to your right hand side, which is, a from, which is from a Cologne manuscript. So the theory about how the um, this calendar tradition um, was rediscovered. It has to do with Renaissance, the Carolingian Renaissance. Um, some people then argue uh, rather the Anglo-Saxon Renaissance uh, slightly earlier, the Northumbrian Renaissance Beat. Um, Boss theory is basically this. There was no calendar for a certain period of time. It was then um, the Roman model, uh, closely related to the one by Polinio Silvers uh, that, that exists. And um, the Roman model was brought by Benedict Biscop in the 670s. Um, to Northumbria. Um, In Northumbria it got slight additions but uh, very minor Uh, and in the 750s by Anglo-Saxon missionaries this model of a calendar returned uh, into the Carolingian Empire or came into the Carolingian Empire and then there uh, another minor additions in the uh, 770s but the key master calendar was then produced in 789 on the basis of this Roman model. Uh, And that's what he called a a large prototype, Um, just to show you the transmission history from Italy through uh, Northumbrian pilgrims, uh, Benedict Biscop. This calendar made it into Northumbria, from Northumbria through missionaries again. It uh, came into the Frankish Empire. it has three layers, and this is important. Um, he defines that the prototype has to consist of three levels of information. The first one, uh, and that existed already slightly earlier, and that is a key aspect, is uh, liturgical and meteorological uh, entries. So basically, uh, on a given date, um, you are uh, told which saint died on that date, which you need uh, for mass on that day in the monastic context. Um, then you have computistical information, which basically uh, is in his reconstruction being um, computistical information, which is slightly different to uh, other traditions that were out there in the Latin West. Um, computistical trend, uh, information is basically, this is the uh, earliest date for Easter Sunday. Um, this is the be- earliest date for the beginning of the Lenten period. This is where you intercalate your lunar month. Um, and there are astronomical excerpts. So you have to have these three layers define um, this genre of text Uh, and this, he believes, was for the first time established in 789 uh, in Lorsch and then sponsored by Charlemagne. And this is the manuscript on which he bases the theory. Um, The manuscript is a Phillips manuscript in uh, in Berlin, um, the date of this manuscript is explicitly written down here. I um, hope you can see it from the back. It basically reads from here onwards, Ab Incarnatione Domini Usque in Vicesimum Primum Annum Regni Caroli Regis uh, Sund Anni and then 789. So from the incarnation to the 21st year of the reign of Charles the Great, uh, of King Charles, um, there are 789 years. The manuscript itself is later. That is one part of the criticism. The manuscript itself is from the 840s. So only because um, there clearly is um, an extant or an archetype from 789 that does not mean that up to 840 there could not have been certain entries added. Uh, That's one of the problems. Um, The criticism really um, that has been um, prompted immediately uh, by There are two publications, one by Brigitte English. Um, She believes that this archetype, um, what defines the medieval calendar with all three layers, has already been produced in the 740s. So she basically pushes it back by 50 years. She basically says it's not an achievement of the Carolingians, it's earlier, it's an achievement of the Merovingians already, uh, of the emerging Carolingians. Um, I won't go into detail with that theory, it has problems on numerous levels. Um, the, the, the one that, is, that, that has been accepted more widely within scholarship is the one by Paul Mavert in 2002, published in uh, Analecta Volandiana <coughs> in, uh, in 2002, uh, and he basically says, um, no, all of the information that you find in this potential calendar of 789 um, is originally Bede's invention and Bede's idea. We know that Bede, in his computistical tract, uh, De temporum ratione, he prefixed a calendar. He says so explicitly, um, but the problem is he does not tell you what's in the calendar. And we have the calendar that you find in the manuscript transmission of Bede um, has no standard format. And the question is, any of these calendars that, that travels with Bede's text could potentially have been his, but it could also have been updated in later times, obviously. So, the problem is that Bede in his own text refers only to three items within the calendar um, that must have been there. What Maibad did is basically saying that everything that Bede describes computistically in his work, he also incorporated in the calendar. But we can't be sure of that um, because we don't have a copy of the time when Bede wrote himself. So, I'm not going into um, the details of. Myer's theory, we can potentially argue uh, or discuss that uh, later on. He bases it on a manuscript which itself is 10th century, which is problematic. Um, and uh, to me, the biggest problem is that Bede refers to the calendar that he prefixed to the beginning of his work only three times in his computistical work. And he explicitly mentions um, three aspects which are within the calendar, two of which you can also already find in Willy Broad's calendar of the 680s. So it's a very basic, um, potentially from what we know for certain, it's a very basic um, original format that we already know from Willy Broad's calendar of the 680s. So we can't, again, be sure what Bede's calendar really looked like from his references. Um, we have only very minimal information. Um, the only thing that is added to, so these are the two information that, that um, Bede refers to that already in Willy Broad's calendar, one calendar. Uh, a sequence of letters which uh, add up to 59 uh, letters um, with, so the alphabet is obviously shorter, so he, he uses dots on, on, on either side, um, 59 letters representing two synodic lunar months uh, in a row. Um, and uh, Bede explicitly says that you find the B sextile day um, in February in a specific line. Uh, this is already in Vili calendar. The only information that is not in Vili calendar that he mentions is that you, uh, another, uh, number, uh, another letter sequence that helps you trace um, the course of the moon through the zodiac. Uh, and this is the, the only information he gives explicitly. I would say then it's so close to Vili calendar that it can be just with this potentially a, a, a one more line of letters added to it and it does not have to be the super calendar that Bors talks about. Um, <coughs> these are the references. Um, the questions that, that I have there when I, when I think about this early emergence of the medieval calendar traditions are threefold. The first is, are there potential alternatives route of transmission? Uh, it's, the scholarly debate is strongly based in Germany, and uh, in the anglophone world, um, anglo-saxon world, I should, I should uh, potentially add, so the idea there is that a major transformation in time or in time perception was done essentially by Charlemagne or you push it further back to the Anglo-Saxon uh, to the to the Northumbrian golden age uh, under Beat. the question is, are there not potential other routes of transmission of calendrical ideas or even this type of calendar? Um, the other question is, do you really need a Roman model? And this is, so these are the kind of the two questions that I will be talking about now. The other problem which um, would need a bigger project, the problem with Borst's research generally, not just for the calendar, but also for uh, other texts he worked on, is that he, his presupposition is, there is a centralized, um, a centralized endeavor, produced by the the emperor himself, and this sets the tone for the next uh, 400 years, um, which which he tries then to prove. What we need to do is to use all of these 250 calendars uh, and test both theory uh, on the opposite presumption. Could it not be monastic networks that do not radiate out necessarily from a center, but that uh, have their own more local traditions? Um, This would be very fruitful uh, future research. I can only talk about these first two aspects, um, alternative routes of transmission of calendrical ideas in the early Middle Ages and is a Roman model necessary. So again, this is the common presumption in many of the articles you will read about the Carolingian uh, Renaissance. Um, Scientific ideas, not just the calendar, but generally scientific ideas. Um, being brought through the, uh, since the mission, the the mission by Augustine initiated by Gregory the Great, um, scientific ideas brought into Anglo-Saxon England, from Anglo-Saxon England, then uh, into the Frankish Empire, where it formed the Carolingian Renaissance. Um, If you look at the three layers, the one that I found most interesting and most revealing is the last one, which I have indicated here in yellow. Um, If you look at the computistical information, it's not only beaten, So BEAT sets a standard from around 800 onwards, but up to 800, there is no standard in certain computistical elements. Um, One of the elements that I will be talking about in a second is something that John talked about this morning. Um, Where do you intercalate in a 19-year cycle? Where do you place the um, intercalated month? BEAT gives you exact dates where to place them, the year, but also the exact dates from the 3rd of, of March to um, the 2nd of April, for example. So that is, uh, these are exact dates, but there is an earlier tradition in Ireland that placed them differently and you find those in the calendar as well. So this raises the suspicion that it could also have gone through potentially Irish uh, channels um, what we know about computistical material generally is a different route of transmission for the early Middle Ages, um, which are in, in a sense in the end afterwards for the Carolingian Renaissance complementary, but this route of transmission comes from Visigothic Spain. Can you understand me? Can you hear me? Very good. So the alternative route of transmission is basically from Visigothic Spain into Ireland, from Ireland through Brittany into the Loire Valley and then into the, uh, either northern Italy or into the Frankish heartlands. Um, we can prove that on various levels. You can also see that in the calendar tradition. And the early medieval calendar tradition is beautiful because of the first level that I talked about, the saints that are listed, because through the saints um, you see the representation of local cults and you can trace the transmission of the calendar itself. Um, the key witness to me, it's, it's one of those witnesses that is hidden in Borst's big, in Borst's big corpus. Uh, the key witness um, to me is a, uh, is a calendar preserved in Trento in uh, Museo Provinciale Date in uh, 1590. Um, it is, Borst has to dismiss Uh, the date that was previously proposed for this calendar because it would predate his own prototype. So there is a reference here and we can discuss that uh, potentially later whether that refers to the year of composition of this calendar or whether it refers to something completely different. Um, The entry here reads um, from the um, origin of the world up to the coming of of our Lord Jesus Christ. There are 5,000... 199 years and then you have a number 772 afterwards so the assumption is you have a count from the beginning of the world to um, the birth of Christ or the incarnation of Christ and then the next number following is the number of years from the incarnation of Christ to the year of writing which actually happens quite regularly, not only in the calendar tradition, but outside as well. Boss dismisses this completely. He basically says what happens here, it's the number, D stands for days, and uh, it's the number of days from the 18th of March to this, where the entry is, um, the 17th calendar of December, which is uh, the 17th, actually it's the 17th uh, December, I think. So, which I can't read and I can't find here, to me this is the date of writing of this calendar and actually all the other information that you find in the calendar is um, coherent with that date. None of the other elements in this calendar, like uh, there's no saint who died after that date. There are two eclipses recorded in this calendar, both date to before this year, it's an eclipse of 760 and 764. So this to me is an earlier calendar, it has all three levels and actually if you break the saints down that are recorded in this calendar, you get a different line of transmission. Um, first, let me show you the kind of information that we are looking for. If we look for alternative, non-beaten computers, it's little entries like this. This says this is basically the third embolism, um, the third intercalatory month in the 19-year cycle, um, which here is placed on the second of July rather than uh, Beat does it in March. Uh, and you find a parallel only in Irish text two Irish texts one is uh, the computers einsied lenses uh, and I'll come back to that text uh, in a second so uh, there seems to be uh, non there seems to be elements within the calendar tradition that does not belong to the the normally expected route and if you again if you break down the saints that are recorded in this calendar you find focus on um, four key areas which give you kind of a sense of how the transmission worked. The first are Spanish saints. Um, you have generally in this calendar some very popular saints that could have been recorded anywhere, but you have uh, less popular saints who give, uh, and they give you a sense that there was kind of a purview of the author at some point in time uh, focusing on, on these saints. Um, Spanish saints are only two, but one is interesting, Leander of Seville is particularly interesting because he's the brother of Isidorf of Seville. Um, we know that through Isidorf Seville's w- works, uh, lots of scientific thought came into uh, Ireland generally, so having him commemorated in Ireland in the 7th century, for example, would make sense. Irish saints Bridget and Patrick are not very uh, um, uh, spectacular, I suppose you find them everywhere, uh, like even today. Uh, I guess Columba uh, of Iona is not so often found in the calendar tradition. Falbeos, we don't even know who he is, so he seems to be extremely local. Uh, That gives you a sense that in some point in time, the calendar potentially was an island. The same with Breton Saints. Uh, Samson of Dol is is a very famous uh, Breton saint, Uh, Melanius of Rennes is hardly ever recorded. That gives you a sense that it potentially came through Brittany as well. Uh, Then you have Loire Valley Saint, Martin of Tours, very popular, but um, Queen Radegundis, for example. And you have also lay people there, which is uh, important, uh, not that regularly noted. it goes into Burgundy, um, you have Desiderius of Yen, very popular saint, um, so King Guntram, King Sigismund are not usually recorded in calendars, that gives you another purview for Burgundy, and then the interesting aspect uh, for me is uh, two more saints that are on this route of generally of how Irish ideas travelled into uh, to the continent, Gallus, uh, of St. Gaul and Columbanus, who is only here explicitly mentioned as the abbot of Bobbio. That gives you a sense that um, the person who wrote that entry had an interest in Bobbio, not Columbanus being in some other point. That gives you, on this one calendar, a route of transmission. Uh, I would not suggest that it was written in Visigothic Spain originally, because there are only two Spanish saints. But it was compiled first in Ireland um, with information that they gathered from Spain. Uh, that's why our, these two Spanish saints are in there, and then it traveled to Brittany, uh, to the Loire Valley, to Burgundy, uh, and through Burgundy to northern Italy. So this gives you, in within, Bos corpus of calendars a completely different route of transmission to the one that is normally perceived. Uh, and all I'm trying to show with this one example is that we need to uh, take into account that there are potentially other routes of transmission than just the one from Italy to Northumbria back to Francia. It could also go on um, a route like like the one here. And the other, one, the other aspect that I find um, Massively important is for drawing up a calendar, a grid of 365 uh, days, you do not need a Roman model. It's not rocket science, it's fairly straightforward and you can prove and uh, proof is needed obviously to to show that they had the ability to draw up a calendar uh, themselves. Say in, and this is the example now, 7th century Ireland it was not a problem at all to draw up uh, this greater of 365 days. What you basically need is to understand the Roman or the Julian calendar, um, which is to any people that uh, need to learn this calendar is counterintuitive because you count the days backwards. You all know that you've got three marker days, the calends, the EATS and the notes, or the calends, notes, and eats and then you, you count the days before those festive marker days um, to count down to when the festival will take place. That is counterintuitive because you count backwards. So you need to understand the concept. Once you understand understand that concept, um, you are fine. So the first text that outlines how the construction of the Julian calendar is Macrobius, uh, Macrobius Saturnalia. And we know that Macrobius Saturnalia in 7th century Ireland and um, Anglo-Saxon England um, traveled as an excerpt. There's an excerpt that only deals with the construction and the history of the Julian calendar. Um, which uh, travels under the title Disputatio Cori a e Pretextati. Leo Frank Holford Strevens has an edition and translation and commentary in press, which is a beautiful <coughs> undertaking. You see here one of the earlier manuscripts that has the text. It starts here. This is a manuscript from, from uh, St. Gaul. The manuscript is 900, but it is within a compilation where the latest dating clause is 699, and that shows you that by 699 this text was, in this case, known in Irish circuits. You still need to piece it together. So uh, Macrobius is not straightforward in telling you, okay, January, um, you have uh, the calends and then you have six nones, uh, and so on. He he doesn't say that explicitly. You need to piece that information together. But we have this beautiful uh, manuscript from Einsiedeln in Switzerland, um, which basically here explains to you, this is a computistical manual of around 700, and it has Roughly uh, six, seven pages that explain the working of the Julian calendar to whoever is interested in that. We know that it was produced in Ireland because of this part here, and I blow it up um, for a second. It's basically you have this is the oldest old Irish numerals that um, were ever written that we have a record of um, explaining the Julian calendar. It basically says here um, the first are the calendars. Alu the second are the four days before the Nones. Um, tres, um, the third, is the third day before the Nones. Cathiavat, the fourth, so it's ordering the numerals and then explaining which day in the Julian calendar that is. And that was a spectacular find because it's, it's um, uh, the, uh, again, the earliest numbers we have in the Irish language um, and it's quite interesting that this exists to explain the Julian calendar. And this text itself has only five instances of the vernacular, the rest is a completely Latin text, only five instances of the vernacular, um, all of them for didactic purposes in this text. So what happens here is he could have done it, that's at least what what I believe happens here, Um, he could have done it with um, colors as well, but what happens here, he wants to set this column off from the other by by, by code switching, by changing the language, so that you do not Confuse this as being uh, that you don't read this as a line First canons for example if this was Latin you could you could just read as first canons This clearly shows you that the first day are the canons uh, So the, he wants to set off the columns um, actually I was reminded um, of that there's a, a second computistical textbook produced in Ireland in 718 719 that also has old Irish terminology, and I was reminded of that yesterday when Dasha talked about um, the expressions for the weekdays. There's a beautiful passage in that one, which starts off explaining the, um, the days of creation of the world, the seven days of creation of the world, starting off with planetary weekdays, um, goes all the way up to Tuesday, Dies, Martis, um, Dies Marti, and uh, then switches all of a sudden to an Irish term for Wednesday. It's not Dies Mercuri, but it's Dies Gedene, meaning the day of fast. And then, so planetary weekdays first up to Tuesday, then the Irish term for Wednesday, and then the ferry account afterwards. And we, we were, we were, it took us two or three years to understand what's going on there. We thought maybe it's a hybrid system that um, they use their own terminology, they use the ferry account, and they use, um, it, it happens, what happens to be there is uh, Augustine who says in the commentary to Psalm 94 that where he discusses the fourth day, uh, Wednesday, he basically says, if you have in your own language a term that does not resemble a heathen god, use that term, please. Um, so that person wrote the planetary weekdays, realized that they are uh, references to ancient, ancient gods, and he remembered uh, Augustine, changed that, and then continued on in Ferrier writing, which is the Christian uh, practice. So it's, it's a beautiful passage in that sense. Um, You also see that in Notgar, the reason why we have uh, Mittwoch in German, uh, and you you don't have that in English, you have Wednesday, Wodan's Day, uh, it's because of that very passage in Augustin. So Notgar in the early 11th century thought he needs to change that weekday, just that weekday, because Augustine says so. Um, This is then early 8th century, and this is the breakdown, this basically, this is how you comprise it. So you have a very long excerpt from um, Macrobius first, then you have explanations um, like these, um, and then you have it in a very condensed format. January, August, and December have four knowns, um, 16, oh, sorry, 19 calends after the ides, and altogether 31 days. And the same for March, May, July, and October, uh, and April, June, and September. So it's a classification of how you construct your calendar. So this is all you need to set the grid and this is, in the early 8th century, this is common knowledge. So you can easily set your, um, you can easily design your calendar. Um, what, I needed to, what I need to find there, and I fortunately found it in, uh, this is my other key witness for the talk today, it's a manuscript in Zurich, uh, Zentralbibliothek, uh, Renanus 30. Um, um, you, you need to have an early calendar that has no information that could only have come from a Roman archetype. And this calendar here has um, two interesting purviews. Uh, one is Irish um, for the the founder of Peronas Cotorum in northern France, and then later on it travelled to Nivelles, uh, Saint Gertrude of Nivelles. Um, so you have two folky in that calendar. It's an early calendar of around 750, uh, and none of um, the information um, is for n- not as not any of the information you need a Roman model. So all the information that you find in here is either saints' cults from the areas where it was produced, or computistical information that is in total agreement with computistical knowledge in Ireland at around 700, and not a single information where you need, uh, for which you need a Roman model. That the uh, what is important about that it basically means that you do not have. Necessarily only one way of transmission of calendars. Calendars could have been created. This type of calendar could have been created at any time, anywhere in Western uh, Europe, where you had enough computational knowledge to design the grid, and then po- you populated um, the way you wanted it yourself. Um, all the, again, all the information that you find here, um, just to give you an example, um, this one here, the first day um, of. Siculi, in this sense, here is the world, uh, is here set on the 21st of March, Bede has it on the 18th of March. This is the older tradition, and this shows you that um, outside of the Beden uh, worldview, there was, uh, were calendars created uh, on the basis of what they had without necessarily having a Roman model. So, just to sum up this, um, what is important? Don't get necessarily hooked on uh, Bors and Maywalds and anybody else's theory that um, the early calendar tradition or the calendar tradition of the early Middle Ages um, stems exclusively from a Roman model. It's not. It certainly is not necessarily. You can prove that there's enough uh, expertise to design this calendar grid yourself and populate it with information that you have. Um, there are various roots of how it was transmitted. It's not just from Italy to um, Anglo-Saxon England, back down to the Carolingian Empire, Um, you certainly have another major stream of information that came from Ireland, through Brittany, through the Loire Valley, then into the heartland of the Frankish Empire. Um, In this sense, it's it's a more generic model. Uh, All the information is continuously added to. You don't need the super calendar and it does not need to be this imperial uh, endeavor initiated by Charlemagne. It gradually um, went into this calendar that has just happened to have a lot of information and um, the one thing that we really need to check on that basis is that I don't think that every single calendar of the 250 that Borst um, published as part of his edition goes back to this one prototype. Uh, I think we need a much more uh, generic model that in certain regions you will have different customs. It's not that you had this wealth of information and then you just dropped elements like Pliny, for example, is only in one third of the calendars. Um, Boss's assumption is that all the be- uh, Pliny information is then dropped at some point. I think there will be centers where this Plinian information was never added. So you will need a much more generic model which then um, the. The problem with that for Borst obviously uh, will be that it is not an imperial enterprise. It is based on monastic networks uh, and you do not necessarily have um, signs, if you like, calendrical signs radiating out from the center, but it it develops separately within monastic networks uh, independently in uh, Western Europe. That's it. Thanks very much. a bit of a marginal question. In, um, I think in the 789 manuscript that uh, both was really on was there a count of, of the number of hours uh, or maybe I misread that? They do count the, the number of hours within the year. That is that is a common practice in the 8th maybe century. You can see that um, let's see if I... Uh, at the top left maybe the fourth line yeah, this is um, uh, this is common practice as well. That in that month, you know, it's the hours of day uh, daylight and, and what, day, what's day, day night. And the origin of discount? Um, I know it from a, a lot of earlier sources, but, but this European count. what does it come to? Where does it come from? Well, in the in the Irish context, it comes from a text which some people uh, which is ascribed to Anatolius, uh, circulated in the seventh in century, where it lays out that. At the, winter, equino- at the uh, winter solstice, you have six hours of darkness uh, and um, uh, what is what is 18 hours of uh, daylight, and um, then you have per day in their terminology, um, daylight increases by two, two th- and two thirds of a moment, and 40 moments an hour. So you have a natural increase. It's it's a it's kind of a linear model where you have a natural increase of daylight um, up to the <coughs> summer uh, solstice, and then you have the, that the equivalent decrease, um, which is actually it's 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 a very fair point, and it's in um, this Nivelle calendar that I showed you uh, as well, uh, and I actually have a slide for that. Maybe. Um, Something could be said about the geographical position exactly that. and this is, this is the argument for this Nivelle calendar and i, I don 't I don't, uh, buy that um, for so the Nivelle calendar they basically say because of that information because of these um, long days and short nights and the other way around it has to be in northern, uh, it's a northern very must have been created at a very northern point uh, and it 's usually attributed to Bangor for that reason. The problem is that exactly the ther- theory that is in here um, is in this pseudo or not pseudo-depending which theory you believe in of Anatolia, so to me it's and we see that in in, uh, many um, other um, um, astronomical phenomena as well, they're calculated, they're not observed, so and this is just following that tradition where you just count your number of your increase of daylight and basically 15 days, in 15 days there's increase of daylight of an hour, Uh, and this is represented here, but it's not Observation.
1: I think, it's a, I think this is actually a continuous tradition from Mesopotamia all the way down to the later Middle Ages. And, uh, Certainly, I think um, it's a very simple scheme, and it's, it's, I don't think it's significant that it goes back to Mesopotamia because it, it doesn't have to be uh, a transmission from one person to the next. It could just be something which anyone would intuitively.
0: But with, uh, well, in this case, it comes through the text. The text itself is a, a Latin um, potentially translation of what Anatolius of Laodicea uh, wrote in the late 3rd century. Um, we have excerpts of that in Greek in, in Eusebius, um, but we only have the full text in Latin um, from... And that is the question, is that a, a faithful translation or not? Um, but uh, certainly this text is the basis for... And wherever then... This te- if, if that was originally Anatolius then it would come from that.
1: Yeah, I mean the point I made area, because Anatolius, but then you could go further back also exactly. and, yeah, yeah. You know, there's no particular reason to sort of draw a genealogy of the concept because I don't think we need to, to do this.
0: But in this case uh, the only reason why it's important in this case is that you can prove that it's a mathematical exercise. Yeah. And it's not necessarily observation. And it has always been perceived as observation and that you can trace then the origin of this calendar to what, uh, Bangor, Northern Ireland, um, which I don't think in that, that case you can, it's simply a mathematical exercise. Um, but what is important is it's information that was available in Ireland or Anglo-Saxon England uh, at the time without any problems. So um, what I was looking for were elements that you find in, say, Polemius Silvius, this calendar, and you don't find in the computistical text of the 7th century then you really get the sense okay, you no, know, if this information is in every calendar then um, the archetype it, of that information must come from a Roman model but you have quite a few calendars where you don't have uh, information that necessarily need to go back to a late antique calendar itself so it could have been more generically constructed.
1: Sorry, I wanted to ask about the sage days and um, You've probably done this already, but I, I just want to ask anyway. Um, when you have, um, so you have some, some Spanish saints, and you didn't have that many of them in, in that manuscript, maybe two, and then you have uh, a small bunch of, of Irish ones, and then you got a longer list of, of uh, saints from the Loire and then from Burgundy, and. It seems obviously what's happening is that as the tradition moves from one place to the other, you have to remove some of the old ones to make, to give way to the to to local ones which might be on the same date. But I just wondered if you could sort of if that could be verified. In other words, can you, uh, looking at this list, for example, are there some significant Spanish saints? who are missing here because just to give an example because uh, maybe uh, it, it's on the 4th of july and martin de well soir had to had to be uh, substituted at that point but yeah. if you can do that then you're able to uh to correlate this list of regional saints with a um with a, a progressive um a pr- progressive development, and you're able to say that the, the the earliest layer is Spanish, and the latest layer is is, is French. because otherwise, you could, in theory, reverse the
0: yeah. order. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, that's true. But you can't do that. And in the end, uh, you see it uh, in, in this model. You do have space, and none of the calendars is completely overloaded with uh, saints. So where, wherever I travelled, you would add your most important you have saints. Two things on the same you can have two entries uh, and uh, say the 21st of March is, is usually a very cramped day where you have computistical information as well. Um, so the earliest Easter full moon, the, the, the E-Pact and so on. Um, so you can cramp a lot of information in that one line and only then if that, that um, piles up you would get a problem. But that's generally not a massive problem with space. and You see it here already. You, have, you do have space and you can, you can add to it. So um, deletion, yes. The theory is that it happened, but it's very difficult to prove. So, the theory there is that um, uh, this is actually a fundamental part of the theory of um, the people who believe that it must have gone through Anglo Saxon England and then back to the continent, because it basically means that um, every calendar that arrived back on the continent had Anglo Saxon saints in them. This Nivelle calendar, for example, has not a single one. That you can only explain by a very national and nationalistic purview of the people in that specific monastery that they deleted all Anglo-Saxon saints. It's difficult to prove. It's, it's a, a lot more difficult to argue than to basically say it just accumulated. Um, but yeah, deletion happened. Quite certainly happened. But it's, it's, what you really need is two copies of the same calendar from different time periods and then you see that one was deleted and you can date one earlier than the other and uh, some of the saints are not in this one. Um, that's the only way of, of proving that this really uh, happened. Uh, I haven't tried yet, yet, that yet. You, you really need two really good copies that you can date, uh, which exist. I need to look for that, if, if there are deletions uh, and on what basis.
1: Um, how stable are the dates of saints? I mean, are they always on the same? Is one saint always on the same day of the year in the different calendars in the epoch you describe, or are there
0: changes? It's relatively stable, except for uh, changes by one day. You miss the line, basically. So, um, if, you're not, if, if you're not... What you never have here is... Well, you have um, um, invisible lining, if you like, dry point uh, lining, um, which gives you the lines here potentially, but not necessarily. So, if it's not carefully written, you can attribute it to um, the following day or the previous day. Um, but it's misreadings. It's not. Is, um, um, I need to look. In, there, there must be saint cults where there are two conflicting traditions in different parts of the year. Um, that must exist. But I need to. I, I don't know any of that from the top of my head. What regularly happens is just miscopying. And, uh, by, by one day, plus or minus. Uh,
1: thinking about these saint's days, Timo. Is there any evidence in early Irish hagiography for similar lines of transmission that you're trying to demonstrate? So that early Irish traditions of hagiography make their way into Britain or or France?
0: Yeah, um, not so... Well... um, I shouldn't say, I just wanted to say not so much uh, for saints, but I can't really tell because I'm not a specialist in that. Um, My interest was triggered by the computistical information and outside of the calendar tradition. We can prove that this is one line of transmission of ideas from actually Visigothic Spain, principally Isidore. for certain chapters of Isidore, especially his Easter table uh, in Etymologia uh, 617, um, where you can prove that this Easter table came to Ireland, was copied in Ireland, um, then it uh, moved into the Loire Valley and was uh, copied there. So we can prove it for texts that are independent of the calendar tradition. Uh, but I can't do that. I'm, I'm not a specialist in saints days, I would need uh, to ask Paul-A-Gorin. it's it would be uh, yeah, I shouldn't comment on that because there are other specialists who do that a lot better than I would, yeah. But the, the, the beauty to me is, um, it's, it, is tr- it is very difficult to trace ideas in space and time in the early Middle Ages. We have now found um, three genres of text which provide us with this information where you really see the different stages. Um, another one is an, an interesting count of years to the end of the world. Because it counts to the end of the world perceived at 800, um, so that is the end of the sixth millennium in, in, in that particular count, um, and it's always dated to there are so many, it's a countdown, there are so many de- years left till the end of the world, so you can date that. If it's 121 years till before 800, that is then in uh, uh, 679, uh, and it In nine out of four instances it follows uh, by dating according to the regnal year of the king of the region. So what we can trace there is the earliest we have is from Ireland, Northern Ireland, another one from Southern Ireland um, ten years later Um, then you have it um, 30 years later in uh, Burgundy and then you have it another 30 years later in uh, Northern Italy. So that is an we too often think we don't have to prove it, but we do. And whenever we have these kind of, of evidence, uh, that's extremely helpful for us, that you can, can, can trace some lines of transmission of ideas, which normally we would argue it's, well, it's of the pilgrim route to Rome anyway. Must have happened. But can you really prove it? So these are three. It's chronology, it's computistics, and it's calendars, um, which are, in, in this sense, two different, uh, three different genres of text, and for each we can prove that.
1: Um, you just answered half of my question with... Uh. This transmission line, do you have, um, for the original transmission line uh, proposed by Borst, do you have similar evidence that, is this transmission line actually somehow
0: supported by external evidence that texts or ideas travelled that way, or is it his construct for calendars only? Um, The calendars are actually the key genre there, and it's a very convincing genre. Um, the problem is that, the big problem is this one here. Um, I, I, I should not raise that point, but I have to. Uh, this one is, this is our key problem. Willy Broad's calendar, the earliest calendar that we have from the Middle Ages, produced in 680. Willy Broad is an Anglo-Saxon missionary who went to the continent to, uh, to Christianize uh, my ancestors, the Frisians. So he ends up and he, he uh, comes up with a deal with the uh, pre carolingians if you like, with the um, mayors of the palace at, at the time. Uh, and he's, he's bringing loads of ideas, um, plus the calendar to Frankia including the AD reckoning that we still use today. It's transmitted through uh, him to the continent. So that is, there, there are quite a few um, interesting aspects that come through Willy Broad, this Northumbrian missionary to the Frankish heartland. But he comes from ireland so he leaves northumbria uh, at the age of 21 uh, goes to ireland for 12 years and then from ireland starts to goes into the frankish uh, empire so it's not the question there is is what what he brings to the continent is that purely northumbrian thought if you like or um, is that added to in his 12 years in ireland through Irish concept and so on. Uh, but he is, he's our key witness, and this calendar has always been taken as the key witness for um, some of these elements here in this calendar, you'll find a Polemia Silvius, uh, that gives you this, the idea that it has to go back to a Roman uh, model. Um, but again, whether this line here, for example, the, 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 number, uh, the, the numerals for the synodic lunar month, whether that is something from Northumbria or added to an island? Uh, we don't know, yeah. But it's, it's a common assumption. Uh, but I have, yeah, um, what I'm trying to argue here is that we should not always take that for granted and I would like to see more articles generally focusing on the transmission of ideas and um, here you can, for these calendars, you can prove it with the saints as well. So um, the, uh, there are two Anglo-Saxon calendar fragments um, before the 780 date, um, the Wallendorf frag- fragment and the fragment from Ilmünster, and they show you um, this, the saints that are recorded in, in those calendar fragments suggest that rule of transmission. But the calendar, calendar for transmission histories, the, these calendars are beautiful and they will always be uh, the call. But um, methodologically, the problem is exactly what Sasha said. Um, you have those regions and you can identify those regions but from which region they went to the other um, that you can't you find very very difficult to prove and this is what the beauty of if there are uh, eclipses in it because you can trace the visibility of eclipses and then you know at least uh, at that point in time it must have been there so,
1: uh, one other question what is the relationship between um, this manuscripts canada tradition and the codex of 354 why I mean of course the witnesses we have of the codex of three hundred fifty four are much later. But what is or why is it actually that we don't have any earlier manuscripts of calendars? Because if if we know that a Codex was produced in three five four, presumably they must have been producing further manuscripts of this type through the centuries. So why do they have to wait till the, the seventh century to so we, we have any survival?
0: What um, I find extremely irritating, if we look at the map again, let me see if I, um, it doesn't matter which map. What I find extremely irritating is that we do not have um, any witness from Visigothic Spain. Uh, So there is a a massive intellectual culture. Easy is just one representative of that. We don't have a calendar from Visigothic Spain which has constant interactions with um, the Roman center, if you like, as well. So I don't know, it may be one of the, what we generally say for the early period obviously is um that it did not survive so any manuscript before eight hundred, we have hardly any evidence for manuscripts before 800 anyway and then it it explodes because um monasteries uh new foundations of monasteries explode so our our um, manuscript evidence explodes from 800 onwards it's extremely limited before 800 generally so it may just be that um, these calendars have not survived um, the um, turbulent history of that region as well. They may have been destroyed. This is—if you think about Ireland, for example—we reconstruct early medieval Irish history uh, on the basis of almost exclusively to 95% of texts that survive only on the continent. Only 5% of the manuscripts that we work on to reconstruct Irish early Irish medieval history still survive in Ireland itself so it can just be bad luck and destruction but it's it's one of the problems we have to work from what we have so so if there are
1: no further questions thank you again to you and to all the speakers